Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of nonfiction entertainment like never before. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life for the past 20 years as an unscripted television producer and before that as a small town sports reporter. Each episode, I talk to talented people from the worlds of documentaries, reality TV, true crime, game shows, and much more. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guests are the filmmakers behind a fantastic documentary film called The Last Blockbuster. You can watch it right now on Netflix, which is a little ironic, I think, and we'll get into that. The Last Blockbuster chronicles the rise and fall of Blockbuster Video, which I grew up, you know, going to Blockbuster, strolling through the aisles and picking out movies. And then it finally, you know, it zeroes in on this last Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. And I love the movie, and so I'm excited to talk to the two guys who are the brains behind the film. Please welcome Taylor Morden and Zeke Cam. Taylor, Zeke, how you guys doing? Doing great. Doing Thanks great. for having us on. Thanks All for having right. us on. Well, I, I know you guys have been... <laughs> doing a lot of press, doing a lot of podcasts, and people are interviewing you, and that's a, that's a good sign. A lot of people are enjoying the movie. What what has been the general response to the last blockbuster? It's a blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. It's been great. People really, we hoped that people would respond to it emotionally and kind of fall in love with the character, the people in it, and um, that it would tap into this nostalgia, but I don't think we could have dreamed that people would be responding it to as strongly as they are. You know, we, we get so many messages every day from people like yourself who just love the movie. And, you know, they say it took them right back to the eighties or the nineties, or, you know, we've had, you know, grown tough guy dudes tell us it made them cry. So it's been pretty amazing for me. Like, it was like comfort food. It really was. (laughs) I've, you know, I've found, you know, I mean, I'm like, I love documentaries, but I do feel there's this trend. It's like every weekend there's a new uh, cult doc or there's a new doc about a serial killer. And so when I saw this, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, yes. I just, you know, felt like, oh, my God, like I remember that. And each celebrity who you popped up, you know, whether it was Kevin Smith and Adam Brody, Ron Bunches, Paul Shear, Doug Benson, and you had Lauren Lapkus narrating. Like, I just felt this community of people who embraced that those years where Blockbuster was a part of of all of our lives. Um, Tell me a little bit about what made you guys decide, you know what, we're going to make a film about the last blockbuster well it came from seeing a blockbuster video in the year 2017 that was up and running you know we live in this small town here and we had both driven many many times past the blockbuster sign um and you know they they still leave the signs up all over the country because it costs more money to take the sign down than to just leave it so it says blockbuster but we both thought for sure it was abandoned 
But um, one day, for whatever reason, I got it in my head that I was going to stop there and check it out, maybe take a picture of the abandoned blockbuster for Instagram or something. Uh, but what I found was a fully operational battle station that was blockbuster video as if nothing had changed, as if it was still 2002. It looked the same, it felt the same, and it smelled the same. And uh, there were still people in there renting DVDs. And that really blew my mind. And so like any inquisitive filmmaker, I was like, what is happening here? How are they still open? And can I bring some cameras over here tomorrow? Yeah. What was the, what is the foot traffic like in Bend, Oregon at this blockbuster? You know, like how many people are going in there? How does it stay up and running? Well, it's definitely, they're not getting accidental. There's no like walk-bys. It's, <laughs> it's in a, a very, very small strip mall with four or five things in there, a nail salon, possibly a real estate lawyer and a pizza place. Uh, and it's behind a gas station. So like not a lot of people just walking by. If you're, if you're there, it's because you, you're intending to go to Blockbuster. That said, I did a podcast there with one of the stars from the film, Jared Rasek, and we recorded 26 episodes all from inside the store. And every single day that we were there, there were dozens and dozens of people at any given moment walking around inside the store during the day, during work. So like on a Tuesday uh, at one in the afternoon, there'd be anywhere from five to 35 people in there. Some of them just tourists, but most of them renting videos. There were regulars that we would see every Tuesday and they're like, I come in every Tuesday <laughs> and get my videos. And it's old people, families, young people, uh, people who realize they don't have to miss this beautiful thing. They can still do it. Have you, whether it was during the making of the film or after, have you decided, you know what? I'm going to start renting videos again or DVDs. Yeah, I definitely, that first day when I asked them if I could film there, I also rented a movie. And I have been doing it off and on now for the past four years during making the movie. And then recently they have started to sell VHS tapes because wow. so many people have donated VHS tapes to the store to be like, can we help you stay open? Here's VHS tapes. And they can't rent them. They don't know what to do with them. So they just put them in a bin, sell them for a couple bucks. And then because of that, I kind of started collecting VHS. So I've stopped renting as much, but every time I go in now, I'll buy at least one VHS movie and take it home and watch it. And it feels great. And I don't even have to return it afterwards. <laughs> well, it's, it's a little like vinyl, right? Yes. Like people, people are now kind of going back and people like their vinyl records. And it, it feels like you're, it's almost kind of like a little hipster. Like you're kind of cool if you have vinyl. I feel incredibly cool that I have Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on VHS. <laughs> yeah. It's the coolest thing about me. <laughs> um, but you know what? It's not just about uh, hipster being a hipster, though, because there's something I used to think that I, I used to think, oh, it's such a hassle to listen to a record. Like, why are people buying them? I guess just because it seems cool. But, uh, you know, spending all these years like, really diving in, trying to get underneath the surface. Uh, physical media 
does something in our brains. You know, there's these extra connections that make consuming the media, not just about the media, but also about what's going on in our lives, emotionally, physically, who we're with. It's very different when it's just digital. So actually holding that album, touching it, holding our DVD, and then watching it on Netflix is different than just watching it on Netflix. I agree 100%. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys about is the style of the cinematography that you went in. Did you have something in mind in terms of wanting the audience to feel like they were walking through a blockbuster? Yeah, I would say it was very intentional. What what we were struck by was the way we felt going into the store, you know, and the sights and sounds and smells and and the interactions. And I think it was the goal from the beginning was to try to capture the way we felt going there and share it with everybody. And like the way we felt interacting with Sandy and share that with everybody. And so, I mean, part of that is the cinematography, like you said, but also there's a lot in the edit because there's hundreds of hours of footage from inside that store that aren't in the movie. So we did try to pick and choose the things that do make you feel like you're actually there. Yeah, we felt early on that if we can make the audience feel the way we feel experiencing this again, then it's going to be a huge success. Sandy Harding is is a incredible character. Let's talk and just like any documentary, you need those characters that the audience will root for and she really, you know, is the heart of the documentary in my humble opinion. Tell me a little bit about Sandy, her family, the people who are driving this last blockbuster. Well, they're the heart and soul of the store, not just the movie. If Sandy quit, the store would close the next day. I have no doubt. Yeah. She is exactly, the way she comes across in the movie is exactly the way she is in real life. I mean, it's a documentary, but she is one of the warmest, most caring kind people I've ever met. She's also one of the most hardworking, dedicated, you know, committed to her local community, her family and the store. It's really like, we are so lucky because when we started, we didn't know she was going to turn out to be this amazing person. You know, you could, I've met a lot of managers of small retail stores and they're not all Sandy Harding. Right. Yeah, it's we were we were incredibly fortunate and you know money is never the first thing on her list. She she wants the store to make money so she can keep those kids in the store employed. That's I think the way she thinks. And you know I I I think if I had to boil it into into one action and it's not in the film, it I wish we could have put it in the film. Uh we were maybe a year and a half into making the film. And there were some legal obstacles, let's say. And Taylor and I were both feeling pretty much like this may, we may never get to finish this film. At least that's wow. how I was feeling. And Sandy said, how you guys, every time we saw Sandy, she'd say, how are you guys doing? Like what's going on in your lives besides the film? And we would tell her and we were both pretty down. And she said, hey, I want you guys to know if you ever need to, I would be very happy to employ both you guys at the store here. Oh my God. Really? And, yeah. And she meant it. And yeah. it was, I just, it, I lost my breath a bit when she said it 
because I thought this is this is just who she is. Like we're, we became part of Sandy's family right away. And it's a lovely family to be part of. You definitely felt that, you know, in as part of watching it, you felt like she was warm and caring. But also, I think part of that is the way you shot it. It was very intimate. You guys were right up and close. And you, you felt that she cared, she knew each of the customers. But the one thing that struck me, you know, in today's day and age, which is, you know, ad nauseum, we hear about how divisive our society is. She was doing, you know, she's doing interviews. Their family's doing interviews with Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, the Today Show. Like, every media organization is talking to them. And I was struck by the fact that, I mean, that was blockbuster, right? Like, yeah. everybody didn't matter what political party you were in or who you were. Blockbuster represented a time when, like, everybody went there to get movies. Did you guys kind of think about that at all, that that was a unifying force in the country at that time? I think that became evident as we were making it. You know, we both work on a lot of different projects, and you interact with a lot of people in your day-to-day life. This was always the one that everybody wanted to know about, you know, everyone like the family members you don't even talk to at Thanksgiving were like blockbuster. I remember blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How's that going? You guys, when are you guys going to be done? Yeah. Is that yeah. blockbuster movie going to be on? And so and we, it's, we both work yeah. on a lot of interesting projects with very interesting clients and still nobody Nobody asked about those once we started working on Blockbuster. That's all they wanted to talk about. Yeah, it is very interesting. You know, everybody is so divided, especially this last year when we're trying to put this movie out. Um, it, it didn't occur to me when we were making it that it was, you know, rare to have a movie that actually does appeal to pretty much everyone over the age of 25. Yep. <laughs> who, who lived yeah. through it. Pretty yeah. much everyone, you know, 10 out of 10 people have a memory of blockbuster video, which is weird in a, in a world where five out of 10 people really don't care for the other five. Yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. With that in mind, is there a world where the video store could make a comeback? I actually think there is. I think the answer is, a, is, a, is very likely, just like record stores. Do I think it's gonna ever be a big chain like Blockbuster or, or Blockbuster? No, I don't think that's gonna happen. But I do think that uh, hopefully our movie will help contribute to that and remind people that this was, a, this was a magical thing and it's not gonna hurt any of the streamers. It's not gonna make anyone stream anything less, especially when <laughs> they're all monthly subscriptions, right? Right, right. Yeah. It, it, Definitely could be a really cool thing. You know, when I travel around the country, I do stop in record stores in every town and I love it because they're all different. They're all unique. They're usually like a mom and pop local store. There is no Tower Records anymore. So it would be very cool if that happened with video stores, but I'm a little bit more interested in if we can do something within our power to keep the ones that are still going alive instead of opening yeah. new ones you yeah. know there are video stores across the country there's probably a couple of hundred and that's enough if we all just go to them you know it's it's not gone probably you live wherever you are within 100 miles of a video store and if you live in a city it's probably within 10 miles 
And I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you haven't been to that video store in five to 10 years, Yeah. but you could go and you could, you know, rent a movie better yet buy a t-shirt or whatever they have that really supports the store. And we're seeing that a lot right now with the blockbuster because of all this attention, you know, they're doing better than they have been in years. And that's really exciting. Like, that it's going to stay open. And I think that because they've kind of earned it, you know, by being there for 20 years. Yeah. I hope we can keep the existing stores open. Uh, it'd be cool if new ones open too, but I would, I would prefer that we just bring all this attention to the folks like in Seattle who have had a video store going for 40 years that is, you know, struggling and could use that attention. Let's talk a little bit about the process of actually making the movie and getting it uh, getting it to Netflix. How did you guys kind of get the get the funding, get the process going in terms of going, okay, let's make this thing. Obviously, you, you talked about the, the genesis of the idea, but in terms of getting cameras rolling and everything like that, nowadays, there's so many different ways to, you know, get a film up and running. What was the process like? Well, you know how it's easier to lose weight by not eating than by <laughs> running on a treadmill? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that was a lot of the technique that we used. We just tried not to spend cash okay. as much as possible. That said, it still cost quite a lot of money to make the movie. Yeah. But uh, Taylor and I put together a Kickstarter and that okay. got us enough money to at least cover the initial travel expenses because we knew we'd be traveling to interview people. Taylor and I have a lot of gear, a lot of gear. Interesting. So, we didn't have to rent. Did we rent any gear at all? Uh, maybe for one shoot in LA or something instead oh, yeah. of flying down. I, of I don't remember. It. Yeah. But no, I think we pretty much used gear we had. And we're lucky. We live in Bend where right. the store is. So that cut right. the cost down quite a bit. Like we had this access, which for a documentary is the main thing you need is access. You need that more than you need money. You know, if you're going to tell a story, you need Sandy to be on board and cooperating. So we were lucky that we had that. But we certainly, to this day, I don't think we have covered our costs. It's, you know, it, it, we, we volunteered our time is what happened. That's kind of how we, yeah. how we did it. So uh, we'll let you know if we ever break even. We loaned all of our gear to ourselves for free. <laughs> Yeah, you did. You didn't charge each other for the gear. No, nope. Well, nope. <laughs> that is a little bit of the old school way of doing a documentary, though, right? Like that's kind of that traditional way of making it, with the hopes then that studios and you know now streamers are going to see that and go, "Hey, that you guys did this amazing job. We want you to do another one." Are you getting a lot of praise and a lot of looks from people after this film? Who are yeah. these people? <laughs> I, well, I guess just me then. No, <laughs> yes. Every, yeah, people, you know, we're both successful filmmakers before this film. It's not like we needed this film to get clients or anything. It's nice that it's so popular. and But really the, the most important thing is it's it's helping the store stay open. And, and this girl that I had a crush on in high school contacted me to tell me that how much she loved it. That's oh. all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> That's motivation right there. Goals right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, I'd rather make a film this way than 
having to have, I mean, I'm not saying I would pass if someone contacted me and said, here's a million dollars, let's make whatever you want to make next. Um, But, you know, this way we got to tell the story we wanted to tell. We didn't have to tell a story that someone thought we'd be able to sell and recoup their investment. Right. No notes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. No notes. How did how did it end up uh, at Netflix? Uh, our distributor. So when the film was done, I started contacting. Well, we put together a list of like what distributors would we want, and it was a pretty short list. And uh, the one that was at the top uh, was 1091. What did they used to be called, Taylor? The Orchard. They used the to Orchard. be the Orchard, and they do a lot of stuff in the music space and a lot of cool indie movies. They do like uh, what we do in the shadows and hunt for the wilder people. Yeah. They're just like super, super cool. Their films. We just were fans of the films that they were putting out. I just contacted them cold and they, with a pitch, asked them if they wanted to watch the movie. They said yes. And they liked the movie and we came to an agreement and they became our distributor. And then they have, connections with various places and you know they're they've sold a lot of films to netflix so they contacted their netflix person who actually originally passed uh really yeah they passed on it probably because they thought uh this is a little bit risky because the film talks about netflix quite a bit yeah in it that would be my guess right But but then uh then a week I think it was about a week later, he contacted them and said, if you haven't sold it to someone else yet, we'd like to still be in the game because uh, I've had dreams about the movie three nights in a row. (laughs) So if I could give any advice to filmmakers, it's put something in your movie that makes the buyer have dreams about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, if you want your movie, if you want your movie on Hulu, you better talk about Hulu in the first five minutes. <laughs> uh, that's a great piece of advice. Okay. Now, I don't know if it should be nightmares or, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I always leave that question, which is, what advice should you give to young or aspiring filmmakers? And that is your advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you started out making the last blockbuster, did you have in mind a goal? that you wanted to achieve? Cause it was a, a, a story that was ongoing. It wasn't like, you know, there was an end, you know, an end that you had. Was there a goal that you started with and do you feel like you achieved that goal? Yeah, yeah. actually I felt like it was a race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From day one, we had two very strong goals from our very first conversation. And it was number one, we've got to finish this movie and get it on DVD so that people can rent it at Blockbuster. And we had no idea how long they'd be open. We're like, how do we get it on the shelf before they close? Because every time we went in there, we'd say to Sandy, how's it going? How much longer do you think you got? And sometimes the answer was maybe six weeks. Right. And other times it was, we don't know. So it was a race. Yeah. And we very luckily achieved that goal. And you can rent our DVD at Blockbuster now. And it's the ultimate, like... It's like an augmented reality experience where you're part of the movie, <laughs> right? You go to the yeah. place that the movie's about, you rent the movie, you take it home. 
and then you get to return it to the it's it's so meta i can't even begin but then the other goal from that first meeting was like oh man wouldn't it be hilarious if we could get this movie on netflix there's such a big part of the story people assume netflix put them out of business wouldn't it be great if this ended up on netflix and you know so when they were in the running we had other streamers who were interested in the movie like we just decided to go with netflix because it's the ultimate irony yeah. and we had a feeling the internet would figure that out we didn't know it would explode the way it did and you know trend on twitter and be the front page of reddit like it was but we we had a feeling that if people realized how ironic it was that would be really good to promote the movie my favorite quote from reddit was oh man this is like john wilkes booth being in a play about the assassination of abraham lincoln <laughs> yeah yeah the irony was not lost on the internet blockbuster was the you know the goliath when you know and netflix was david and now it's it's completely it's completely reversed yeah so, now netflix is goliath and blockbuster yeah. is like cousin fred <laughs> not even in the story yeah uh, exactly exactly what is your like when you guys look back on your blockbuster experience do you guys have a fondest or funniest memory that you kind of kept in mind as you were making this i think it was more about what it felt like when we walked in to this last store which wasn't the last store at the time but it might as well have been there were a dozen left and i really i feel like Walking into that store created the that overwhelming rush of memories, but not specific memories, more like feelings. Mm -hmm. And feeling that again, it's like, so I, I've said this to a few people that this was something that was such an integrated part of all of our lives. And we loved it, but we didn't think, I think most of us, at least I didn't think about how much I loved it. It was just, it would be like, how much do you love going to the grocery store? I just go. But if there were no longer grocery stores, you'd be like, oh crap, it turns out I really loved going to the grocery. I didn't realize how much I loved going to the grocery store. It was just part, it was an obstacle to the part I wanted to do, eat. Right. But it turns yeah. out actually we loved it. And so when I walked in, it, that sort of rushed over me that first day that I walked back into the store. I went, I forgot that I loved this. I didn't even remember to miss it. Right. So we wanted to remind people to miss it. Yeah, I, I had a very specific blockbuster memory that really stuck out when I when we were starting this, but it was again, more recent. It was from six years ago when we, my wife and I first moved to Bend, there was a second blockbuster here that was right by my house, like walking distance. And the week we moved here before our furniture arrived, you know, we'd sent it in pods and we were just here. We had like a folding chair and, you know, a pizza and some paper plates. This blockbuster was going out of business that week. And I went in and thought, I thought for sure, because I knew they were all closing, I thought that was going to be the last time I would ever be in a blockbuster. And that feeling 
was bittersweet. It was the first time I realized, like Zeke was saying, what it had meant to spend time in Blockbuster. So going in there and I probably bought 20 DVDs and five video games because they were like 95% off. So I came back to this empty house and I just had this pile of DVDs, no TV, no DVD player. Yeah. But I, I was making a conscious effort at that time on that day to be like, you should soak this in. This is probably the last time you're ever going to be in a blockbuster video. And then the, the kind of rush that came with, you know, two, three years later going in another blockbuster video and then to be wrapped up in it for four years and be like, Oh, 60% of my day-to-day life is blockbuster video. Now Yeah, I don't take it for granted, you know, for whatever that's worth. It's like, I'm really glad we got to spend this time with these people in this place. I mean, that's what the movie's about spending time with people in a place instead of staying home and streaming things. So like, it's very meta and it's very like surreal to have been able to live through this. But I actually did have that moment where I was aware that this was my last time. Most people don't remember the last time they rented a video, but I thought I did. And then I was way wrong. I can't remember, but I do remember that fun and frustration of being in the store with friends and family or a girlfriend and trying desperately to decide which movie to pick or movies. And yeah, you're right. You don't appreciate it until it's gone. And now you're on the couch, you know, doom scrolling. So no it, one ever called it doom browsing <laughs> at Blockbuster because it was fun, right? It, it was. was fun yeah. to go with people and like you pick up a, a copy of like some weird straight to DVD Corey Feldman Lost Boys sequel. And you're like, this is definitely terrible. We should rent this. We should rent it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I you remember- would go. You would go and the movie you wanted would not be there. And then it was that. It was, okay, we got to find something. We can't, we came here. Well, what are we going to watch? And then it was like a free-for-all, you know? And you'd end up with, yes, a Corey Feldman movie or somebody else would have a ridiculous idea and you'd walk out of there. Everybody would be laughing. Everybody would be excited to see some random movie. So it was an experience. It was. It really was. I remember being too broke to rent movies, but that never stopped me from going to the store, to the video store and spending two hours browsing. It's like a library, only you're allowed to talk. Right. Yes. So you go with your friends and you'd be like, oh my God, remember this movie? Did you, or did you see this movie? Or what was your favorite part of this movie? And that was the night out. If you, if you weren't into nightclubs and you're in college and you just wanted to, if you just loved movies, I went to film school. It's like, that's what we would do when, for fun, we would go and we'd look at the covers of the DVDs or we'd read the details on the back or we'd try and find one and say, let's find the movie that has the worst description on it. (laughs) Yeah. And it costs nothing. Yeah. I remember going into Blockbuster and like, they, you know, they always have a movie playing in the store. And like, if you get there and a movie is starting that you kind of want to see, I'll just like browse and kind of watch Terminator 2 (laughs) at the same time. Like, why not? It's free. Uh, How do you feel in general about the state of documentaries, docuseries, 
today. This is what you guys are doing. Are you excited? There's more opportunities for documentaries and docu-series than ever. For, for me, I don't care if something's a documentary or narrative fiction or whatever. All I care about is the story. Every, for me, everything is about the story, the characters and the story. That's it. Uh, I, I'm really thrilled that because of the reduced cost involved in making something, which for some reason seems like it is equaled by how much harder it is. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot more opportunities for people to share their story, share their voice. And that's, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I don't care if it looks bad, if it's not shot well or any of that stuff. I love when they're shot well. There's some documentaries that are absolutely gorgeous. And I love when they're clever uh, and entertaining. But if it's got a story about a character that I care about, uh, I think there's more opportunity now for that to happen than at any other time in history. I feel like it's a golden age of documentaries right now. Agreed. Yeah. I, I have a slightly unpopular opinion about okay. the rise of the docu-series right now. Okay. I, I think we have way too many like HBO. Uh, I'm not going to say anything bad about Netflix, but Hulu and Amazon. Uh, <laughs> I think people are turning what should have been a two hour movie into a five part docu-series and the part of me that doesn't have a long attention span is a little bit frustrated with that. Like some things for sure, you need 10 hours to dive into the minutia of it. But like, I don't know that we needed like five hours of this one true crime thing that could have been a 90 minute doc. So I think we're, because they're so popular and because docu-series, you know, hold people's attention on the streaming platforms longer than a movie and keep people coming back. I think, there's some less than creative people in charge who are turning everything into a nine part docuseries. I would agree with that opinion a hundred percent. If it's a great 10 minute film, don't make it 11 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't make it 11 hours is the, yeah. is the real thing. I agree completely. I think there's a tendency for buyers to overreact and they go and they look at this thirst for content amongst audiences, whether that is at HBO Max or at Showtime or at Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and they go, oh, well, these people, they want four-part series or five-part series or six-part series. Right. And so then everything has to be a series. And I agree with you guys. Two hours it can cover a lot. And in a lot of ways, it, you can tell a better story that way. The vow to me, was a perfect example. And I don't know if you guys saw that, but it was the Nexium documentary series that was in nine parts. It was in nine parts. And I swear to you, three of the episodes, the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode, nothing changed. So that was a perfect example. Maybe you could have gotten two episodes out of it, but it really felt like they were just dragging it out because they wanted more content. And yes. If it feels like something's the right length, it's too long. <laughs> if the perfect solution to a story is a toothpick but you think you can sell a redwood whittle it down till it's a toothpick otherwise you're going to break a lot of teeth that is <laughs> it's a very that's a very good analogy 
Okay. <laughs> is there anything that you learned in the making of the last blockbuster that you'll take away um, to your next project um, or that you think is worth passing along to the audience? I think we have one good, like, fun pro tip for the aspiring low-budget filmmaker out there. And that is, if you can't afford to put a hit song in your movie uh, because of the licensing costs for the master, uh, just spend 20 years learning how to play a bunch of instruments and record it yourself. Yes. And that is way cheaper. Uh, There's a couple hit songs in our movie and we could afford the publishing clearing, but we couldn't afford the master. Uh, So I just played all the instruments and sang on one of them and Zeke's wife sang on the other one. And we just, you know, kind of passed those off as, as hit songs. And most people don't notice, but you know, if you're a filmmaker and even if you're not a musician, you can find someone else to do a cover version, but that saved us a ton of money that we didn't have. Oh yeah. That would have eaten up almost half our budget. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Save money up for the lawyers. If, if you want other, if you want to sell the film, no one's going to buy it. If you don't get it cleared by lawyers, right? Whatever money you have for production and whatever, like you need just as much for the deliverables and the, insurance and the lawyers and all these things that annoyingly have nothing to do with making a better movie. Um, But they cost just as much and it's just the way it is. So I don't know, I guess if you know what you're doing, you already knew that, but if you're you're like us and you're just like trying to get stories out into the world, you learn a lot as you go. And of course we're going to take that with us moving forward, but it's like you don't know what you don't know so yeah. like whatever the next project is we don't know what the hurdles will be and they'll be different for sure yeah most of the stuff i've worked on in my career were at very big studios so i wasn't if i wanted to use a song we use the song example i would write in that song there and then yeah. they'd worry about it sure yeah. but this time when we're like hey wouldn't it be great to use this song then we're like Oh, what well, a pain in the neck it is to yeah. use this song. Yeah, exactly. That Those are some great tips because even someone like me, I work in unscripted television and yeah, I'll go to the line producer or production manager and say, hey, can you guys look into clearing this Taylor Swift song or clearing this Drake song? And then they take care of it and they give me a price and then we look into <laughs> the budget. That would be a totally different world in the documentary space. So, yeah, that sounds yeah. great. I guess the tip we just learned there is get a line producer. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have, what, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what, you great. guys wore a lot of hats on this. Tell All me that. how you divided, how did you divide up duties on the project? We couldn't walk under an archway. We both had so many hats on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was for a lot of the process, it was just the two of us. And we did have a fantastic editor uh, who came on board for post, but you know, for most days, yeah, we're producing, directing, uh, setting up lights, running cameras, setting up microphones, running sound, uh, all of the things. And then when it came to post, we're, we're both just like, okay, let's, one of us has to figure out how we can clear a song. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. Now one of us has to figure out how we can get it to a distributor. Let's do that. And, oh, now we have to learn what deliverables are and do that. 
Yeah, so it's it was, really weird going from a place where there's one person doing each and every single job to two people doing all the jobs. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and look, but it. I will say you got that intimate feeling. And I think part of that probably had to do with the fact that you guys did so much of it and you were in sync and had that same vision. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. We really did have the same vision the entire time. That's probably why it shows up in the final product. All right. I always like to end the episode with recommending a few things for the audience to watch. Naturally, everybody should watch the last blockbuster. You know, Zeke and Taylor, you guys did a fantastic job. And Sandy and her family are just phenomenal characters. And I think people will fall in love with them. Is there anything else that you think that the audience should watch? I think they should watch the extras on our DVD, which they can buy at (laughs) bendblockbuster.com. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch all the content. I hate the word content, but watch all the stuff we made on the DVD. You can get it at Blockbuster. If you live in Bend, if you live anywhere else, you got to get it from their website. And a kid in a Blockbuster uniform will package it up for you, mail it to your house. And when you open that package, it probably will still smell like Blockbuster in there. So that's that's the Taylor, best way to experience the documentary. Taylor put together a really cool uh, featurette from an interview he did with the owner of which video store was that? Uh, Eddie Brandt's Saturday Eddie. Matinee, which sadly has closed due to COVID, but it was one of the longest standing VHS rental places in LA. And Taylor put together a really beautiful featurette that's on in, in the extras on the DVD. Nice. I watched this, this pretty, it was pretty ridiculous, and yet somehow I enjoyed it. Uh, I guess you would call it a docudrama, like a hybrid docudrama series on Netflix called The Lost Pirate Kingdom. So it basically is a story of like kind of the real Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh. Um, huh. And, you know, it's a lot of acting meets sound bites from historians it also has some of those game of thrones type sexual scenes in it which also <laughs> can be a little funny and awkward so yeah, yeah so it was really just kind of bizarre slash fun to watch um and totally different than anything else on the platform so, i uh, i watched yesterday the new godzilla versus kong movie and all the only impact it had on me was I just really missed movie theaters. That's a, yeah. I'm like, this is not for this format. I'm yeah. glad they put it out on TVs, but come on. <laughs> it's it's a, I think, yeah, no, I, I can imagine there's, I, it's funny you said that. Cause I was thinking as I was getting ready for this, I was thinking about what movies I would watch that I got from blockbuster and what movies that like my friends or my brother and I decided, oh, we have to see this at a theater because we we were always very strategic. Like, oh, these summer big summer movies, the Mission Impossibles, you know, uh, those movies we wanted to see in a theater, you know, on the big screen. But then there were other movies that uh, this is we called them. This is a blockbuster movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas uh, our movie is perfect to watch at home on a DVD. You can watch exactly. it any way you like. It works yeah. just as well uh, watching it on uh, a smartwatch. <laughs> that could not possibly be true. 
<laughs> that yeah, that might be that might be difficult, but but any other but any other sort of device, I think it works. Yeah, it looks really good on a Game Boy Advance. <laughs> well, Taylor, Zeke, thank you so much for doing the podcast. This was a great chat. Congratulations on the movie. I look forward to seeing whatever you guys do next. Thank you very thank much. You. Thanks so much. That's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. For everyone listening, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate the show with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Bleave.com and at Bleave Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz can email me any questions or suggestions you have send those to no script no problem podcast at gmail.com if you're interested in advertising on the show please contact believe at believe.com thanks for listening until next time i'm steve berkowitz for no script no problem Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.